episode of the Championship Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, James Vickers. You can reach us at the show on Twitter, uh, on our new Twitter page, which is at Championship Pod. And you can also follow my personal Twitter, which is at underscore James Vickers. Hi, I'm Russ Goma. I'm the host of College Talk, a podcast about Fulham Football Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman and also at the Twitter account for College Talk, simply College Talk. Hello, my name is Louis Shackshaft. I represent Sheffield Wednesday on the podcast. I do a lot of writing, blogging, um, and Sheffield Wednesday statistics. You can check them out on Twitter, which is at Louis Shackshaft, or visit my website, which is just my name again, louisshackshaft.com. Yeah, cheers for joining me today, guys. There's uh, only been the four games in the, the championship this weekend. Um, Russ, why don't you take us through the results and then um, sort of we'll get everyone's thoughts on, on who we think sort of had the best win of the weekend or sort of any notable bits of news coming out of the games. Okay, excellent. Well, let's start with uh, Fulham's uh, victory at Oak- Oakwell against Barnsley. It was 3-1, to one, and I'll be talking about that in just a bit. Then let's look at uh, North City actually upsetting Brentford uh, away from home, so that was a good victory for Norwich City. The uh, match of the week, besides my own, I have to mention my own, would have to be Bristol City beating QPR 2-0 at home, but they uh, they won this match with 10 men. They scored two goals with 10 men to beat QPR. That, to me, was uh, a very good result. And then, of course, you have Wolverhampton Wanderers going on the road and beating Ipswich Town. So those are the results. Uh, Louie, I'm going to start with you. What, what stands out to you? Uh, for me, obviously, um, the game that I didn't expect the team to pick up any points. I'm, I'm going to say Norwich uh, winning away actually at um, at Brentford. I think Brentford's a real tough place to go. Uh, That's a tough many, place to win. Definitely, yeah. And I think um, a lot of teams will go there this season and not pick up many points. Um, but the moment of the match, the fifth minute, and if you've not seen it, Madison's goal was just you know a goal. Worthy to win any game. Um, totally. About 20, yeah, 25, 30 yards out, nutmegged a player, uh, ran round him and then smashed it into the top, well, top right uh, corner, basically. And uh, yeah, a goal worthy to, to win any game. And um, I thought I didn't see Norwich taking three points before that game. Um, another game what potentially stands out, like you mentioned there, Russ, is obviously Bristol City winning, which... Wasn't the surprise? It was a surprise how that they, they went it. on to win. Yeah, how they did it with with ten men. So uh, well done to them two teams. But yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the best result and and the surprise of uh, of the weekend was was Norwich's victory at Brentford. That's an excellent point. How about you, James? Yeah, so it's a bit of an interesting one, sort of the one I've gone for, where people would look at it and expect the result. But I've gone with the the Wolves game simply for the fact that looking. Looking down the form sort of of Wolves recently, and I think it's testament just to how good they've been because they're still sort of looking at the table now. They've gone 12 points clear again at the top, but that's their first win in any competition since the 2nd of January. So they've they've nearly gone the whole of January, you know, not picking up sort of any wins. Um, so to get back to winning ways at a, a place like Ipswich, which is sort of a tough place to go, you know, Mick McCarthy's um, sort of got the team playing sort of how he likes and it's never an easy place to go. So to, to go there... Uh, sort of shake off the little bad run of form they've been on and pick up three points and, and you know, get back to winning ways was crucial for them. Um, and, you know, we're, we're sat here talking about a team that haven't won in, I think it was five or six games, yet they're still 12 points clear at the top of the league. So, it, as I said, it's just testament to how well they've done through sort of the first half of the season. And if they can, you know, replicate that form in the second half, I think we're going to be looking at sort of a, a one-horse race for the title, really. I totally agree with that. And, uh, these results are, are very interesting. That's why I'm glad that we started off this uh, episode talking about them. And uh, very good by Louis for mentioning Norwich City because I was all honed in on the uh, Bristol City match. But it's a good point. It's very difficult to win at Griffin Park for them. So for them to find a way is uh, important. And uh, these are all interesting results, you know, in a weekend that was uh, dominated by the FA Cup. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, sort of quite a weird weekend really you know it's it's getting to that stage of the FA Cup where some teams have uh, obviously been knocked out so they've still got league games so there was quite a mix of things going on really but I think sort of those results that we've mentioned uh, with exception to the the Norwich result even though Bristol City played sort of uh, sort of about two-thirds of the game with 10 men you'd expect sort of those results to sort of go the way they did so 
those teams have managed to get points on the board now, and it's uh, it's about the rest of the teams in the league really sort of playing catch upon them. Even though they've they've all got a game in hand, it's it's always better to have points on the board than games in hand. So. I think Wolves especially have uh, sort of come out the weekend sort of quite nicely, you know, putting the pressure on the teams, chasing them. Um, even as I said, though they do have games in hand, it'll. Uh, I think it's going to be hard for sort of anyone like Derby or Cardiff to catch them now. So I think we're really looking at sort of that fight for second place between sort of Derby, Cardiff, and and Bristol. Um, so it'll be interesting over the next few weeks to see if uh, one of those teams can sort of pull away or, or stay in contention with sort of the chasing pack. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, uh, Russ, obviously Ryan Sessegnon grabbing the headlines. And I think there was uh, a little bit of news earlier in the week um, where you'd brought in a new left back and, and people were just assuming that that was a direct replacement for Sessegnon. Um, but sort of throughout the season when we've had you on the podcast, you have sort of mentioned how there was the need for, you know, a, a, another left back, sort of as it were. Um, right. How how good has he been this season? And, and do you expect him to stay sort of in the summer, even if Fulham do get promoted? Or would you expect him sort of to move on to, to one of sort of the bigger Premier League teams? It's a tough one because uh, if you listen to Sassanian, you could see his uh, love for Fulham along with his brother. They both play for Fulham Football Club. They started at the age of eight. And the, uh, I could say that Ryan Sessegnon is saying all the right things. And uh, But w- when you uh, look at the path that he's going and, uh, you know, your Fulham Football Club – it really is a matter of not if, it's when. When will he move? So I don't know. I mean, I, I think part of it might depend on what happens to Fulham the rest of the season. Do they get promoted? Maybe he stays. Uh, this summer will be definitely something that that our Fulham supporters are going to be concerned about when it comes to Session. And he's only getting better as uh, this season progresses. And, uh, yes, they brought in this uh, left back on loan from uh, Southampton. Matt Target. He actually played fairly well in this uh, first match. Came on at halftime for Dennis Adoy. Uh, and what this does for Jokanovic, it just gives him choices at left back. He can always play Sessignon at left back, but I've said this several times, especially on the road, you need to be playing Ryan Sessignon further up the pitch because he's so good in the box. He's such a finisher. You want him around there. And uh, if you've seen the highlights, you'll see that both of those goals are just being at the right place at the right time. But that's a great quality to have for such a young player. He has a, a very good nose for the game, and uh, he's just always in the right place. And uh, so I guess you could say, James, you know, it, it's a wait-and-see situation with him. But um, I'm looking at it this way. I'm going to enjoy his time with Fulham, and, and when he does leave, uh, Fulham are going to get a, a huge chunk of change for uh, Ryan Session. It just – keeps getting bigger and bigger the more goals he's scored and right now it's up to 11 this season think about it 17 years old he's already scored 11 goals yeah i think definitely sort of over this season i've noticed the the improvement in him so week in week out he looks to be sort of uh, it's easy to make the comparisons because they play sort of similar positions but really having that kind of breakout season that granted it was in the Premier League and Champions League but like Gareth Bale did yeah. which uh, sort of ultimately got him his move to Real Madrid they're sort of quite similar players sort of uh, in my opinion of watching them both sort of started as left backs but you know uh, gradually going to be moved further forward just because of the sort of the attacking prowess that he possesses so it's been sort of a joy to watch sort of him develop this season and chatting to you about him. Obviously, we can see sort of how highly rated he is. And uh, I think he sort of, we're going to be talking about him for sort of many years to come if he if he can carry on the path that he is on. Um, sort of going into the game yesterday, obviously, you went to Barnsley, who have struggled quite a bit this season. We talked about, obviously, the takeover there. Uh, last week on the show but you know I think first and foremost for them this season is staying in the division um was it a case of Fulham going there and you were expecting sort of to come away with the three points or was there a part of you that you know was a bit sort of wary of, of sort of Barnsley going into the game I was very wary of uh, Barnsley going into the game because of uh their manager has their team very well organized and uh a team that I think that was uh underachieving if you want to talk about a team that's underachieving I think it's Barnsley if you look at the talent that they, they have, you would say, okay, they maybe should be where they are. But I disagree because uh, they play a, a, a decent brand of football and they're n- not going to be easy for anyone to play. That's the way that I looked into it going into the game. I knew that this would be difficult. I, I didn't think this was going to be easy for Fulham and it certainly wasn't. 
And to Barnsley's credit, they came out very strong in the first half. They were definitely the better team. There's an argument that we were talking about on Cottage Talk that, that this is overall not just one bad half, but a complete bad game for Fulham performance-wise. Obviously, you find a way to win, and that's the good part because uh, good teams find ways to win, and I'm starting to come around, guys, to be able to say Fulham are a good team. I've been struggling with that because I, I, I said that they need to show me enough, and, and uh, there's enough evidence for me to say they're a good team now. But this was not an easy match. I didn't think it was going to be because I thought they would press us, make things difficult, not let us have the ball as much as we like to, and that's exactly what happened. And they have players that really troubled us. And uh, so, obviously, what changes the game, let's be honest, is the red card. The red card changes the game. Two yellows equals a red. And he goes off. And then uh, Fulham take advantage of that. And uh, there are two ways to look at that. Are Fulham, are, are uh, you know, uh, are they fortunate? Yes. They're fortunate that this red card happens late in the first half. And they go on and they score three goals. The third goal was was at the very, very end of the match. But the thing about it is you still need to score the goals. As we've seen from Bristol City, you can still score goals with 10 men. Uh, so they still needed to win this match. And they did enough in the second half, and they dominated the play having that extra man to really uh, take hold of the match. And, uh, you know, here we are talking about Ryan Sessignon. And it's funny because um, I interviewed one of the announcers, both of the announcers, but I talked to one of the announcers about this that does all the phone broadcasts last week. And he had said on a uh, on a prior broadcast that, no, uh, Ryan Sessignon's having a quiet game. Within minutes of him saying that, Ryan Sessignon scored two goals. And uh, this is a similar situation where it seemed like he was ha- he was having a quiet game and right place at the right time, he scores two goals. Like I said, the, the, the second goal was very late. But what was great here is that when I looked at it, and the last time I did the show with you guys, you know, we're talking about what I was hoping for in those four matches. I was hoping for nine points. They actually got ten points. I, I had a good feeling that they were going to hit their stride. I, I just did. And it, it has come to fruition. But the big difference right now for me with, say, Fulham now to, say, earlier in the season is uh, something that I've talked to Louie about. Louie's like, you know, draws can really hurt you. Well, Fulham are now turning draws into victories. They're, they're, they're going to these situations where instead of just getting the draw, they are now finding a way to win. And that could really help them as the season progresses. And uh, that's why I guess you could say I am more optimistic than I was, say, a couple months ago because I didn't see them being able to do this. They didn't really do this last season, do what Brighton did so often. Fulham are now doing it. So I'm encouraged, and that's what I got out of this match. Uh, if you want to, want me to be honest with you, Barnsley played a very good match, uh, but Fulham did everything that they need, need to do to win the game. Yeah, I think definitely if you carry on this form, now you you sort of rocketed up the table and you know into the playoffs now. Uh, even though Sheffield United do have sort of the game on uh, game in hand sort of beneath you, um, but as we said earlier, expect to get points on the board. And you know, sort of a few months ago we were talking about you sort of down in mid table, and here you are, three points off uh, off going into third. Um, so you know, it's been a remarkable turnaround. And I think if you you carry that form on, I think Fulham are definitely going to be up there, sort of challenging for second place really with how tight the sort of the top 10 is at the moment um but sort of going away from the league and going into the the FA Cup um Louis you had a game on Friday night at home to Reading in the FA Cup uh yeah. talk us through the game and uh sort of what was sort of the general feeling coming out of the game um going into the game I didn't know what to expect to be honest because it was Friday night FA Cup I didn't know whether teams you know would go all log and all out uh, wanting to win the game and um I expected it to probably be nil-nil or a 1-0 uh, victory for Wednesday and the first 20 minutes or so I, I, it seemed like I was going to be right it was a bit of a dull game dull affair not much happened and then we had a breakaway and Atinuyu managed to score after I think it was about 24 25th minute um, and after that, um, we didn't look back. We, met, we managed to win quite convincingly. And it was nice to see Ati Nui, who's took quite a lot of stick off Wednesday fans this last few years. Um, obviously, he's classed as one of the 
second string players and and most of the team that did play on Friday night were in inverted commas second string players so it was nice to see us go and score three goals at home because goals have been hard to come by uh, recently and not only that it was good to see George Boyd he scored a goal and that's his first for Sheffield Wednesday so things are slowly there's there's light at the end of the tunnel uh, at the minute with Wednesday even though We've got a lot of players that need to come back from injury. We've practically got a full first team out injured. Um, We're into the next stage of the FA Cup. Um, And I know I'm going to talk about our new manager, but he's still undefeated. Um, Long may that continue. That's great. Um, Yeah, it's definitely great. He's definitely got Sheffield Wednesday working as a unit, uh, especially especially defensively at the minute, because that's where we've been... Falling short this last five, six months is we've been conceding too many sloppy goals and we've, we've, well, we've only conceded one goal under our new manager and the goal we did concede was against Reading and it, it was a, technically it was an own goal to be honest. Um, so yeah, it was great to go, you know, into the next round of the FA Cup and a lot of our, like I mentioned, players are, are performing really well at the minute. I mean, I, the player of the month votes come out today and, you know, I, I were literally torn between three or four players and, and, and they are Wildsmith in goal who's stepped up. Uh, Venancio who's given, he's been given his chance under the, under the new manager. Uh, Daniel Padil, Ati Nuiu, Lucas Zhao, all playing really well at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, like I said, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We were drawing a lot under Carvajal and I'm just hoping going forward that like Russ has mentioned with Fulham, we can turn these draws into wins now and see where it takes us this season. By all means, I don't expect Wednesday to, you know, do anything other than finish somewhere around halfway, but it's something to build on for next season. So, yeah, we'll take it from there. Yeah, you sort of talked about the current players uh, who are uh, who are with you there for the for the player of the month vote. One player that I wanted to ask you about, um, and I'll probably butcher his name because I uh, have a habit of doing that. Is it uh, Palupasi, who you've signed from Dutch football? Um, you mentioned about how he sort of tightened it up at the back. Obviously, he's a defensive midfielder. Is is there more signings incoming, um, sort of in that department, or sort of where else would need strengthening over sort of the last few days of the transfer window? So, yeah, like you mentioned, um, I might butcher his name, to be honest. So, it's Joey Pelopasi, I believe. Uh, but, yeah, he's a defensive midfielder. He did play against Reading. And, to be honest, he, he had a relatively quiet game. Didn't put a foot wrong, if you like. You know, he probably scored six and a half, seven out of ten. Uh, so, he had, a, he had a steady debut. And, you know, the, the, the main thing was we went on to win. Um, but with a few days left in the transfer window, we've we've not been linked with anyone major, no set targets, nothing specific. There is a few words out there that we're going to look at maybe an attacking midfielder. We, we, we were linked with some um, Austrian attacking midfielder, but I've, if I'm honest, I forgot his name. Um other than that, I've, I've not really seen anything or heard anything. Or, and you normally you get all these little rumours coming about and whether they do in the next few days. But I think with the new manager coming in, he's bringing in a lot of youth players and they're essentially like new players to us. They've never played under Carvajal. And he's literally played five or six youth players that have never had one first-team game for Sheffield Wednesday and he's brought those in. And like I said, they're like new players to us. Our squad essentially now is, is when everybody's fit, is 28 to 35 players to choose from. Um, so maybe, you know, with, with a little bit of luck, maybe we don't need anybody. It's a case of obviously the new manager assessing the players he has got and it might be a case that he uses, obviously, the, the summer's a bigger window and, and that's the time where he's going to bring in the players, uh, use the scouting system and get rid of the players that he doesn't want also. So, um, if I'm honest, I don't think maybe other than maybe one player we, we may bring in, that, but I don't know who it could be. I, I'm not sure that will bring anyone in at all, to be honest. Yeah, and sort of to move on to Preston, we had a game in the FA Cup against the other team in Sheffield. Sheffield United um, made the trip over and sort of the first half of football is, is probably the worst half of football I've seen in quite a while, to be honest. Uh, a really sort of forgettable half, not many chances created. And we sort of looked down at our phone to check what time it was, thinking there was, you know, a couple of 
and it's half time and we'd only played 20 minutes, which, you know, sort of summed up how the first half went, really. Um, second half, it was sort of more of the same until um, they got a penalty with 10 minutes to go, which Billy Sharp scored. And, you know, watching it back, um, obviously referees have a, a difficult enough job as it is, but looking back, you know, I, I can't see how it was a penalty. It was sort of one of the, the better tackles that you'll see all season. Tom Clark sort of sliding in from the side and, hooking the ball away from the striker and then the striker goes down and, you know, for whatever reason, the referee decided to give it as a penalty, which, you know, disappointing from our point of view, but, uh, you know, our main focus really is the league this season. So it was a chance for Alex Neal to to have a look at sort of a few fringe players um, who haven't really had sort of much of a look in, in the sort of the league squad. Um, people like Daryl Horgan, who's been sort of a bit part player this season and John Welsh coming back as well from injury. So, it was good to get minutes on, sort of in in for them. Um, as far as sort of the sort of the main focus now, as I said, it's the league, and uh, you know we're four points outside the playoffs, which is good. Um, I didn't really think we'd be sort of in and around there at the start of the season, especially with Simon Grayson leaving uh, a day or two just before preseason started, which you know really for a spanner in the works for us, but. If uh, if Alex Neal can get us sort of playing well in the league again, like we were doing sort of in the run up to Christmas, um, I've got all confidence that we can, you know, really challenge for a playoff spot. Um, he seems to be sort of building his team now, sort of how he wants it. He's brought in a couple of players over the transfer window: Louis Malt, Billy Bowden, um, and then Ryan Ledson from Oxford. Apparently today has handed in a transfer request, which you know um, he looks like he's trying to push for a move towards. He's he's been linked all summer. Uh, summer or winter sorry um and he's the kind of player we need really um sort of ben pearson does a fantastic job in midfield for for us but it's, it's really noticeable as i've said many times this season when he doesn't play we, we look a completely different side so ledson's someone who's in that sort of same image so if it can provide extra cover for pearson you know with his disciplinary record the way it is it'll um it will be sort of welcomed in my view. So hopefully we can get that one over the line. Um, but as far as sort of any more incomings, I'm not really expecting anything um, unless something materialises on, on deadline day or, or, you know, we let a few players go to bring someone in. But no other names linked yet. So it's um, it's a case of sort of waiting and seeing over the last few days of the transfer window. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, obviously I mentioned there about the penalty call and there's been a lot of talk recently, um, especially this weekend, about VAR. Um, I wanted to get your sort of thoughts on it, really. How how do you see it working so far? Are you a fan of it? Do you not like it? Is there anything you'd improve on it? Um, start with you first, Russ. Uh, what's been your sort of overall views of it over the first few weeks of it being in England? Well, listen, I think uh, overall it's going to be a good thing. And... Uh, it's going to have its issues. It's going to have its detractors. Obviously, it's got a good amount of detractors. I've always been one, James, that said, as long as you get it right, then I'm all for it. But if it gets to the point where it it can get crazy, like you get so intricate, and um, replay has gotten out of control, believe it or not, in the NFL over here. So when it gets to the point where it gets, when they take it too far, then I've got a problem with it. But when it's... A, a decision where you can really see see the difference by using VAR, I'm all for it. And if you know, for me again, get the call right. That's the way I look at it. But I understand why other traditional supporters don't want to see it because they like it a certain way. I, I get that. But I've always this is just me feeling. I've always thought one if you have the technology and it can help you and it can also help the officials. Why not use it? I've got to agree with you there, Russ. Um, I believe VAR should only be used for important decisions. Right. And whether we get to that, I don't know. I just don't want it to come to where, for example, was it a yellow card or was it a corner? Was it a throw-in? Was it a goal kick? Or, you know what I mean? I, if, if, it's, if it's something like a penalty decision, a sending off, obviously we brought in the all-line technology already, you know, if if it's an important and a potential match-winning decision, but if then it's a yes. match-changing decision, yeah, really. yeah, then let's use VAR. The other concern is, I know there's been a few issues in the football of late with VAR, and it sometimes takes away 
do you know you've got those 50-50 split decisions where even when it comes to a video action replay, you're looking at the decision and it still boils down to whether that person who's watching the replay would say, yes, that's a sending off. And some person would say maybe, no, it's still not a sending off, even with a replay. It's That's what, that's what concerns me. It's still going to boil down to a person's opinion watching the video. Um, and I don't know how they're going to overcome that. If it's a simple decision, then yes, by all means, it's a penalty, it's a sending off. But when you're watching a video and you still can't determine from watching a video because it's based on your opinion, how will that... I'd rather than a referee just make an immediate decision without using you know, video replay to make that decision as opposed to still looking at a video. And Louis, that's a great it, point. Does is that it, make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. The way that I look at it is that VAR, it should be definitive. It should be something that is right or wrong, meaning that you exactly. can tell it makes a difference. If it's something that's questionable, uh, a decision should not be made because of using VAR. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, I think that's exactly how I'm, I'm trying to express it as well. It's, if you don't want a decision whereby you're looking at a video action replay and you're still unsure, so I'd rather them just make a, a decision based right. on instinct in that case. Um, but and I know there's been a few issues in the in especially in the Premier League, obviously in this in this in the last few weeks with uh, the video replay where they still potentially made the incorrect decision. Um, so, but having said that, if it is going to you know execute those key decisions and dis- determine whether, like I mentioned, a sending off penalties, whatever, you, um, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I completely agree with the points that you two have made there. Um, sort of watching as much Bundesliga as I do, they've had it since the start of this season. And uh, sort of over the first few weeks, it was sort of similar to how it's been received over here. Sort of the first few weeks, you know, people were unsure of it. And I think teams were getting the referee to review things just for the sake of, of reviewing <laughs> it, just because they, they didn't like a call or something like right. that. And, you know, Sort of nine times out of ten, the referee had been correct. It was, as I said, more more of a, a case of, of players just doing it because they wanted to try and prove the referee wrong, not necessarily because they thought that you know the wrong decision had been made. Um, but over sort of the last couple of months, it's really sort of calmed down, and they um, they seem to have got it down to sort of uh, sort of a perfect mix now. Sort of like you guys were saying, of only using it for important decisions and. And that kind of thing, which, you know, was, was really, people talk about it disrupting the flow of the game. But if anything, it's it's helped it really. Now you don't have that sort of period where if a team doesn't like sort of the decision the referee's given, you know, you don't have the players surrounding the referee and, and arguing it. And if you probably look sort of throughout the course of a season and those kind of decisions, the time that players spend surrounding the referee, it probably equates to probably similar, give or take a few seconds of, of the time it takes him to check the VAR so you know you hardly really notice it now in Germany um, even though it's still there being used and sort of the, the example I go to sort of when I'm talking about it to other people is there was a game that Dortmund were playing in um, earlier in the season against Freiburg where uh, a Freiburg player had tackled Dortmund's left back and I think he'd uh, sort of broke the Dortmund left back's ankle and the referee at the time had given a yellow card because he hadn't really seen the tackle sort of too clearly so while the Dortmund player was down receiving treatment, um, obviously the game had stopped anyway. He went and, you know, had a look at the tackle again on the VAR and could see, you know, sort of it was quite a dangerous tackle. So ended up reversing his decision and giving the, the Freiburg player sort of and quite rightly a red card. It was, you know, late, high, um, after the ball had gone. So situations like that, definitely yeah. I'm all for it. Um, but, you know, as we sort of all sort of echoed the same point, it shouldn't really be used for you know 50-50 decisions and and that kind of thing. So at the end at the end of the day, those 50-50 decisions are down to interpretation and depending on which sort of set of fans you speak to, everyone's going to have a different opinion on them. So I think James, only using it. Yes, I was going to say it shouldn't be used as a crutch. I think you kind of went there when you're talking about when players are just wanting them to use VAR for everything. It definitely, definitely should not be used that way. It should be used like the way we're talking about and. Like you mentioned with the Bundesliga, over time, when it becomes not this huge situation where it just becomes part of the Bundesliga, meaning that it, it's you, you know when it's going to come, you know the proper time when it, when it comes. I think 
you have to go through the process of getting used to using it, and eventually all leagues will that are going to be using VAR will we'll get to that point. Listen, I've seen, I want to say, at least three or four VAR calls that went against my hometown team, the New England Revolution, that turned to be red cards. And in each instance, it was the right call, even though it went against my team. And I was actually appreciative that they got the call right. I don't like that it went against my team, but that's the point. I want the calls to be right. Yeah, definitely. Completely agree with you there. Um, I think sort of I saw someone on Twitter yesterday sort of summing up perfectly that at the moment in England, it's like when a kid gets a new shiny toy and, right. you know, they're using it just for the sake of using it. It makes good television. Um there's more sort of focus on it being used as part of the television spectacle than, you know, actually using it to get the right decision, if that makes sense. Um, yep. So I think over the, the next couple of weeks, definitely it'll sort of calm down and uh, we'll probably have this conversation again in, say, like a year's time and, you know, people will be all for <laughs> we'll it. See where, um, the, where it is then. Yeah, definitely. Um, what I wanted to, to ask you both, though, obviously um, at the start of the season, I, I tipped Fulham to be one of the teams sort of to challenge for promotion. So, Sort of, thankfully, now you've turned your form around and uh, it's saved me a bit of embarrassment if you'd have been sort of down in mid-table. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on who in the league so far has been the biggest overachievers. So not necessarily in, in the sense that they're doing a lot better than expected. I've sort of taken into account, you know, sort of money that teams have spent in the uh, in the summer, sort of a lot of different factors. So we'll start with you first on this, Louis. Um, who's been the biggest overachievers in your opinion and who's also been the biggest underachievers? Um, overachievers, I'm going to stick with uh, Bristol City, if I'm honest, and simply because everyone knows that Bristol City are playing fantastic football this season. They can beat anybody on the day. They play really good attacking, free-flowing football. Uh, Lee Johnson's been a breath of fresh air in this league, and not only in the league, obviously we all know how far they got in the League Cup, and they certainly gave uh, Manchester City a run for the money over two legs. So for me, I'm going to say the overachievers, yeah, is, is Bristol City. Um, there is obviously a, a couple of other teams to mention. I think Cardiff have done really well with their resources because I had a look at the, typically the players that they brought in at the beginning of the season and, and mainly they've, they've brought in just free transfers and, and, and numerous loan players. I think, I think they bought six players in total on free transfers. So They've not really spent too much money. So where they're sat in the league around fourth at the minute is obviously under Neil Warnock. He's got him playing really good football and they've not gone out and spent millions and millions of pounds. But talking about money, I think the team what have spent the money most sensibly is probably Derby County. Um, yes, they've spent money, but they've spent money really, really wisely. Um, and when, when I say wisely, they brought in players like Tom Huddleston for near enough a million pound Curtis Davies uh, they got Sam Winall on loan from us they spent quite a bit of money on Tom Lawrence but Tom Lawrence is a fantastic player we all know how good he was and you know they've, they've gone out and thought you know we'll, we'll spend that money on him because he's proven an experience in this league so fair play to Derby County underachievers um, to be honest you can name a few can't you um, I, I mean I wish Sheffield Wednesday were further up in the league um, but if I were going to pick one out, to be honest, um, I know the slumps at the bottom. I'm going to say Birmingham City. Uh, they're right down there. Um, as are Sunderland, you know, we could say them also. But I think Birmingham City, again, we, we keep talking about when Gary Rowett left and it proved how well he what was doing. What a mistake. Doing. Exactly, yeah. And, and I think... A lot of people expected such as Sunderland to maybe do the double that we're going down again this season. So I'm not going to put that actually as a surprise. But with Birmingham, it was it was their own downfall doing what they did. So I'm not saying that I'm pleased at Birmingham where they are, but they kind of deserve it in a in a way. Um, getting, I mean, from what view you look at it, I don't know whether they were being too greedy or whatever happened in, you know, between chairman and manager, I don't know. But yeah, Birmingham City are really underachieving and I really can't see them unless something drastic happens um, getting out of that bottom three, if I'm honest. Yeah, the same question to you, Russ. Uh, sort of who in your eyes has been the biggest overachievers and underachievers so far? Well, for me... Uh... Louis nailed it. It has to be Bristol City. I was going to say Bristol City if you went to me first. And uh, for all the reasons Louis said, and uh, 
I'm a big fan of Lee Johnson. I think Lee Johnson has done a fantastic job. And they're the team that uh, I never want to see Fulham play is Bristol City because they know how to beat Fulham. And uh, tactically, they always get it right. They're a well-drilled, disciplined team that just does everything that they can to win a match. Uh, and I, I marvel at the way that they're doing it because they don't have this huge budget. And uh, on the face of it, I, I thought I would see them at the bottom of the table. And boy, did I get this one wrong. And I didn't give enough credit to Lee Johnson and uh, to, to what they've done there. So for me, it has to be Bristol City. I, I understand talking about Cardiff City as well, but I'm sorry I can't give uh, um, Warnock any credit because I can't stand him. That's just my personal little thing there <laughs> with him. Uh, but I understand why you mentioned Cardiff City. I, I've just got this issue with uh, with Neil Warnock. Uh, but for me, it's definitely Bristol City. On the flip side, I, I am going to say Sunderland, even though I understand many thought that they would uh, – struggle. I just didn't think that they would struggle this much. I didn't think they would be in a relegation battle. That that was just my my opinion. But I, I I could very easily go for Birmingham City. And if you're a Birmingham City supporter and you go back to that time where they got rid of Rowett and look at what has happened since then. The the biggest mistake I, I, I can think of uh a team has made in in a while. I mean obviously there there are many mistakes, but that that, that is a glaring mistake for getting rid of Rowett, and uh, it has really backfired on them. So I can understand why Louis went with Birmingham City, but I just look at Sunderland because I expected them to at least do what um, what Aston Villa did the year prior. I, I figured they'd be comfortable mid-table. They are not comfortable at all. And uh, so for me, it's Sunderland. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with the Bristol City one. I think Derby, as you mentioned, Louis, of uh have spent really wisely. Uh, similar to how Newcastle did last season. Yeah, they've spent money, but they've spent it in the right way and brought in experience uh, at this level. Um, yeah, yeah. Newcastle really got that sort of spot on last season, bringing in players that knew the division. And, you know, while they may not all be up to Premier League standards, sort of as it's proved this season, it got them promoted with that experience. So I think Derby definitely have uh, done fantastically well under Rowett. And then, you know, you look, as we've mentioned, uh, at Birmingham, who are... Uh, probably still kicking themselves and you know at the time I don't think anyone sort of saw the sacking come in and um, you know you only have to look sort of where they are in the league now compared to where Rowett is and you know I reckon this time sort of next season we'll be talking about Gary Rowett as a, as a Premier League manager so sort of in my opinion they'd be the two that you know have, have sort of overachieved or not overachieved but done sort of better than people thought they would um, and then Birmingham you know down sort of almost at the foot of the table and you know look sort of odds on to go down now so um yeah unless something drastically changes they'd be the uh the two that i'd go with um i just wanted to ask you louis um obviously quite a sort of a disappointing season so far from a sheffield wednesday uh sort of point of view i thought you'd be sort of in and around challenging for the playoffs um the new manager's come in now he's sort of had a few games you mentioned earlier he's still undefeated and how has he sort of come in and turn your fortunes around and have the fans really taken to him so far yeah so far and um, can't complain at all to be honest I mean I know it's early days and you know it, it takes a manager I think you've got to give a manager at least a year before they can even be judged uh, but you know a handful of games in so far so good uh, played four one two drawn two only conceded the one goal, like I mentioned, and we've scored five goals. So we can't really complain. It's it's just interesting to see that under Carvajal, we was playing a 4-4-2 formation. And ultimately what got Carvajal sacked, I believe, was although I liked, I liked Carvajal and I thought he was a decent manager and I hope he goes on to bigger and better things, he never had a plan B. And and I think that was the issue. And like we've talked about before, we was drawing too many games. And because he never had a plan B, that's why we wasn't collecting the extra two points per game because he didn't sometimes know which way to turn. Now, the new manager's come in, Jos Luhukai, and he's um, he started a whole new brand of football. And, and this is why it's interesting because he's, he's now playing a 5-3-2 formation. And a lot of Sheffield Wednesday fans have, been keen to see that formation for the last few years and and Carvajal would never even he was never even willing to give it a go um obviously they see the players in training so I can't you know talk too much and judge Carvajal because of that but he's come in straight away and within five days 
put out his first team in a 5-3-2 formation. And we just seem to now be well-drilled. We're playing as a unit. We've gone from conceding silly, stupid goals where, you know, players have just had defensive lapses. And we've, we look really, really solid at the back now. And we've brought in a couple of, like, say, youth players, defenders. Uh, we've started playing our even so-called second-string players, like I mentioned. And we just... Everything about us just looks improved. And, and from that, I mean our fitness levels, um, turning defence into attack. Uh, we're not playing fantastic football by all means, but we seem to just have some structure now and things are slowly but surely, and, and I'm hoping, are, are going to improve. And, and one of the reasons I think that is because the new manager, Luca, has come in and is is just so disciplined, is is. You know, he's got this um, stigma, if you like, where coming from abroad where if basically if you don't do as you're told or don't do as I say, then you're not going to play. You're not going to be in my team. I mean, we've, we, you hear little things, but apparently if you turn up one minute late for training, you, you won't be in the team on Saturday. If you turn one minute late for lunch, you won't be in the team. It gets in the – it's apparently up to now whether this will change, I don't know. But he's had the players in practically for training every single day, even after match day, um, just so they can be a collective unit and team. And things seem to be just so far improving because of that. So I'm really interested to see where he can take us. I know this season, potentially in the league, we can't do anything more than have a, you know, a, a bang average season. Um, we need to collect enough points first and foremost to, you know, stay in the league. But I don't see us obviously getting relegated at all. Uh, but it's interesting to see that we've got obviously to the next round of the cup, and and, and I just hope that you know th- at the end of the season we've got something to shout about. Whether that's a even a quarter final FA Cup game against a big team, and you know we we can give them a run for the money. I don't know, but um, I think everything's going to ride on this. Everything's going to ride on next season now. Uh, but yeah, so far, so good with the new manager. Yeah, I reckon sort of uh, once he gets sort of a, a full sort of pre-season and summer under his belt as well for you, you know, you're going to go from strength to strength. And I sort of certainly expect you to be back up around the playoff places in the automatic promotion places next season so it'll be interesting to see sort of how he sort of shapes the team over the next few months gearing into next season um i wanted though uh, just to get your thoughts really it's sort of more of a sort of a light-hearted topic obviously i'm sure everyone's seen it now the the new badge that leeds united announced uh, at the start of the week and uh, sort of the reaction online to it was uh, sort of fans of leeds united uh, were absolutely sort of uh, appalled by it uh, and quite rightly so it is some, like something out of a video game um, whereas sort of uh, fans from other teams uh, you know always like to sort of uh, take the mick out of Leeds a bit and you know some of the, the edits of, of the badge that were flying around you know certainly did that. Um, I just wanted to get your two thoughts really. Have you ever seen sort of a, a worse badge or did you like the badge? So what were your thoughts on it? Um, I, if I'm honest, when I first saw the badge, I didn't think too much of it because, obviously, Leeds United isn't my club. And then I took to Twitter and everything everything was basically going viral in relation to the badge. And when I got thinking about it, comparing it to their old badge, and I've got a few friends who are Leeds United fans and I had conversations with them and they were discussing it and they were mentioning there's obviously on the badge, there's no year of establishment. There's no LUFC. There's no Rose. There's no history. Obviously I, I understand the badge and the, um, what's the word I'm looking for in terms of the guy touching his chest. If you like, I understand where they're coming from that, but actually looking at it, um, I compared it to other badges and yeah, I agree. I think it's probably the worst badge ever, if I'm honest. Um, and that's not undermining it. I think it is absolutely terrible. There's nothing to it. The only, the only other badge that I think currently in British football that is pretty bad is probably Burton Albion's. Um, I don't know if you can picture that one in your head with the like fat guy being an A kicking a football and it says Brewers at the top all in yellow. Um, they're 
that's not a particularly great badge. But yeah, if I'm honest, the Leeds United badge, I'm not surprised that they did kick up a stink all the fans and it's potentially going to get changed. Uh, but yeah, I think it was embarrassing. I'm glad. It's, it's interesting because from my perspective, we only had a badge change a couple of years ago and people at first kicked up a fuss about that. But in comparison, we have certainly got nothing to complain about. So, yeah, um, yeah, it, it was a mess. <laughs> yeah, my thoughts on this is it's interesting because here in America, I'm not sure if you have this product in England, but uh, Arm & Hammer uh, baking soda, if, if you guys uh, Google it, you'll see a, a picture. And uh, it reminds me of that. And uh, it, it, if you're going to remind me of any kind of product, then uh, I'm – going to think that it's a little ridiculous and and this is ridiculous you know again whatever i think of weeds or what all we think of weeds as a as a club uh it's a traditional club and this flies in the seat of that and uh i understand why they're all upset they should be upset and uh it's ridiculous and i'll, I'll just back everything louis said as well it's just i don't get it i don't get it and uh you know, if you're going to make a change, I, w- I, w- I wouldn't make a dramatic change like that. But this, to me, is a dramatic change, and uh, I understand the outrage. Yep, completely agree with you there. Uh, I, sort of, if I was a Leeds fan, I'd be sort of really annoyed with it. Um, at the end of the day, it's sort of the badge, but you know, it, it, it held sort but of quite a lot of history. And, it, exactly, right. yeah. Um, so yeah, if I was a Leeds fan, I'd be sort of. Uh, calling for it to be changed sort of immediately. Um, to be honest, I um, <clears throat> quite like the sort of the current Leeds badge, so I'm not sure why they... Uh, I was going to say, I kind of like to it too. That I, just, I just looked at it again. What's wrong with that? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So I think... Um, it's Leeds, real. It's Leeds. Everything's yeah. wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think definitely there was, there was no need to change it. Um, and I do think uh, sort of the funniest thing that I saw sort of come out of it was... Um, Aston Villa's uh, tweet because um, I think they play Leeds in a sort of a week's time or two weeks time sort of advertising tickets and they'd sort of mocked up a poster of uh, sort of how you'd expect a pro evolution soccer um, sort of poster to be with uh, West Midlands Village versus um, I can't remember the, the name that they had for Leeds but with sort of two pro evolution soccer badges which did make me laugh and uh, it's given sort of everyone the opportunity to sort of poke a bit of sort of light-hearted fun at, at Leeds so it's, I uh, thought yeah. they were. I thought they were advertising laundry powder when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's not one of the better ones that I've seen. So uh, yeah, hopefully for sort of Leeds fans' sake, they do sort of either keep their current one or, or sort of find something to change it to, which isn't as bad. Um, I can't see how they could sort of suggest anything that could be worse. So I think anything sort of now will be an improvement. Um, but sort of just moving on to uh, previewing sort of all our next games, um, we'll start with you first, uh, Louis. Um, us and Sheffield uh, both play in midweek. Uh, you've got a difficult-looking trip to uh, to Middlesbrough, although they seem to be better away from home than they do at home at the moment. So um, sort of how do you see the game going and what would be a, sort of a prediction from you for the game? Yeah, it's a funny one, Middlesbrough, at the minute. I don't know what to expect from them. They seem to win one, lose one. Um, good game, bad game. And, I, you know, they, they got beat uh, by Brighton in the FA Cup, which, you know, there's n- nothing wrong with that. But then um, the, the week before, they went to QPR and, and won 3-0. And, you know, the, the guy who's on fire for them, Asom Balonga, he's got 12 goals. He's he's having a, a steady season. He's He's doing quite well. And... Improving his worth because he's cost a lot of money, but obviously they've they've got Poulis in charge now, haven't they? So I can imagine they're going to be real difficult to beat. Um, but I just, I, you know what? I, I really don't know what to expect from them. I, I, I kind of expect Sheffield Wednesday are going to go into the game again three-five-two. We've still got a lot of players out, uh, but we'll definitely put up a fight because we have done every game that we've played under our new manager. And I just hope that Sheffield Wednesday can go to Borough and, and again, stay undefeated. That would be five games in a row without a loss if we can do so. Uh, but if I'm honest, I've, I don't see why Wednesday can't sneak a 1-0 victory here. Um, like, a, like I keep saying throughout the podcast tonight, they uh, we're not conceding goals at all, really. We've only conceded one in four games. So there's no reason if, if, we, if we 
don't concede on Tuesday, then then why can't we win one nil? Um, so yeah, that well, be can I share good. my thoughts on Middlesbrough because Fulham just played them and uh, just give you a little of thoughts on on this match for you. I think you can beat them. That's just my thought. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Asamu Langa. Listen, they have a huge amount of talent. They do. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. look at that entire team, but are they playing as a team? That's going to be something that you're going to be watching during the match. Are they all together? Are they all on the same page? Because they all have a huge amount of talent. They are changing under Pulis. I was surprised of how open they were under Pulis. I was not expecting that. They're going to be aggressive against you. But if you are, if you play well defensively, I think you can sneak that win similar to how Fulham did. So yeah, Fulham, I think we're just saying, saying you, five at you, the back. Yeah, yeah if you play that way, against us, yeah. you can yeah. frustrate them. So. I would not say that you cannot win this game. I think that you have a, a, a decent chance, believe it or not, of beating Middlesbrough. They are a very good side. But if you frustrate them, you can cause them to make a mistake like they did against Fulham. Yeah, I mean, I'd certainly, I playing away from home against Borough, like I say, I don't know what to expect from them. Um, I would take a point, but like you just said, Russ, I agree with everything you've just said. There's no reason why we can't get no there reason. on no reason at all that we can't get the three points. Okay, well, then I will go on to my game, and it's against uh, Nottingham Forest on Saturday. And, uh, uh, James, I just want to mention in advance, please uh, beat up this team. You know, beat them well so when they come to uh, Craven Cottage, they're not, <laughs> they're not feeling up for the match. But this is actually a match that I'm fearing a little bit because of Aitor Karanka taking over. And that, to me, is something that I'm concerned about. I'm curious your thoughts on when you talk about your matchup on Tuesday against Forrest, because I don't know what to expect. Someone to Louie talking about Middlesbrough. I'm not sure what to expect, but Fulham are in very good form, and they have to feel confident going into this match. Our home form, which over the last couple of seasons hasn't been at the level it is right now, has been excellent lately. So I have to feel confident, and the one thing that Fulham have been doing recently at Craven Cottage is keeping clean sheets. So uh, I'm feeling confident, but it is a situation where I really haven't looked deeply into uh, Nottingham Forest yet. I haven't done my my uh, my research on them enough, but I I am fearful of Karanka. Uh, I'm going to say that right off the bat. Uh, Russ, I've got a quick question for you, and it's slightly going off um, off topic. I know sure. we're doing the previews, uh, but I wanted to ask you earlier, and I didn't get around to it. So we touched on Ryan Sessignon. Um, yep. I just wanted to know, just quickly, sure. a player like Sessignon. Uh, can play multiple positions on the left or in midfield, whatever. Yep. He's got 14 league goals and he's only, you know, in the last few years and he's, he's 17 years of age. He's probably the best, um, how can I put it, player outside of the Premier League that's a prospect and up and coming, especially at his age. Right. What, what, and he's an, an, an English player as well. What, right. what, Sort of value are you? If what what do you value a player at that age? I don't know. I, I, it's so because obviously the, it's hard. The, yeah, the amount of money that's been thrown about these days, and yeah. you know, players that sometimes you've never heard of between five and thirty million pound. A player like Sessignon, I'm just I've I've been wondering in the back of my mind: yeah. is he worth is he worth fifteen million pound or is he worth forty million pound? And I thought you're obviously the best person to ask because what kind of money's been branded around and talked about? It's crazy because um, it's difficult to put put on a figure. But I will tell you this, Louis. Uh, I hope he keeps scoring the goals he's scoring because mm-hmm. the number keeps going up. So maybe at the beginning of the season you could think 15 to 20 million. I think it has to be much higher than that at this point. I'm, and, thinking uh, thir- I'm thinking 30. If I'm I was thinking around there at this point, and it could be even higher by the end of the season because, again, mm-hmm. you're talking about two seasons in the championship. What if he ends up with, I don't know, 17 or 18 goals? And and the interesting thing about him is that he's you know he's not a striker, and yep. and some of those goals come from left back. So just think about that, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, definitely. It it's hard because you see all this money being spent, Louis on established players that are much older. And you kind of understand that. But here's a kid that you can see all the potential. And uh, is it wrong of Fulham for wanting the type of money that, say, you know, an established player would get, you know, because of you could see the potential, you know. And, again, I can't see him 
getting worse. I know that, you know, obviously a, a fear when I am potential is that he's not going to live up to it. I'm just telling you, as someone that has now watched a season and a half of Ryan Session, I've only seen him get better. I haven't seen him go in the other direction, meaning going down. And he doesn't seem to be intimidated. He's played against some good players. And he's, uh, you know, you know, listen, um, Traore really did a number on him defensively. But in the end, you know, um, he, he was able to hold his own, but it was difficult for him earlier in the match. And he's going to learn from that, the player from Middlesbrough playing against someone like that. It's a good thing when you play against players of that caliber. And, uh, you know, and I can be honest with you to tell you that, that he did struggle. His pace, uh, you know, he got past Sessignon, which I thought was, uh, frightening. And that just tells you how fast that player is, but mm-hmm. he'll learn from that. But it also told me that in the, in the end, he's going to be higher up the pitch because his attributes are there right now. Can he play left back? Absolutely. But the teams that are going to be looking at him at left back, I think you got it all wrong. I, I really do. Yeah, I, mean, I hope he stays at Fulham for another 18 months because he's. I, I, just so don't, I just don't want him to get ruined at a, a top, let's say a top four or five club where he well, just ends up on the bench. Well, um, can, I, can I touch on that real quick? Because I've got my thoughts on that. And I'm glad that you brought that up, Louis. Because um, when I look at Session, and uh, if I'm looking at a team that I would want him to go to, as, as someone that's watched his career, I don't want to see that happen to him. I really don't. I don't want him to go to Tottenham Hotspur because I'm afraid it would happen there. Nothing against Pochettino and what they have there. It, it's a it's a it's a great team the way they play football. I'm afraid that he would get lost in the shuffle. Same thing with Man City. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Chelsea. Believe it or not, the team that I think would be a good fit for him is Liverpool. I think yeah, Liverpool yeah. would be a good fit for him. Uh, that's the t- you know if you had to ask me if there's a team that I think he could thrive in, it's under Klopp in Liverpool. Good point. It's a good point. Yeah, completely agree with what you two have, uh, have said there about Sessegnon. And uh, I do think sort of in the division, he um, is probably going to be one of the, if not the sort of the next player to go for big money when he when he does leave sort of eventually. Um, what would you say would be a score prediction for the game, Russ, just to uh, sort of round off the sort of the full and preview? Okay, well, I'm going to go with my normal score prediction. Anyone that listens to College Talk knows that I generally go with a score prediction because, one, Fulham usually can see the goal, and, two, I don't like close matches. So I'm going to say three to one to Fulham. That's my, that's my go-to score prediction. Perfect. Uh, yeah, so going into Preston's game, obviously, as you touched on, Russ, we have Nottingham Forest on Tuesday night. And just like you, I'm not sure what to expect from them either, really. Um, obviously, they've not really done sort of too well in the league over the past sort of five or six games, which, you know, there's been a bit of sort of off-the-field stuff going on with the new manager and sort of Karank has finally come in now. So, you know, like when most new managers come in, there's always a little bit of a honeymoon period. So I'm sort of fearful for... You know, obviously, we all saw how good they played in the FA Cup against Arsenal, that they, you know, were all out to impress the new manager. So I think we need to be sort of definitely on our game and play better than we have done in recent weeks. Um, but, you know, we we seem sort of time and time again this season to struggle in the games that people perceive us to win, but then um, sort of do better in the games that people expect us to to lose in. So, you know, I just don't know what to expect, really. Um, if it was to sort of go for a score, I'd probably I'd play it safe and go down the middle and say that we'd get a draw, um, which would set us up quite nicely playing Hull then the, the following weekend at home. Um, you know, they're struggling down the bottom. So if we could get four points from those two games, uh, I'd be absolutely delighted and that'd keep us sort of in and around the playoff hunt as well. So, you know, it's going to be a difficult game, but if yeah, if we can come away with a draw, um, you know, I'd be more than happy with that. Um, but with that, we're out of time. Um, cheers for joining me today, guys. If if you two want to let everyone know where they can sort of follow you or any projects that you're involved in, that would be a good time. Okay. Again, my name's Russ Goldman. I'm the host of Cottage Talk, and you can follow me on Twitter, Russ underscore Goldman, or at the uh, Twitter account for the show, which is Cottage Talk. And you can also listen to the show on blogtalkradio.com slash cottage talk or Apple Podcasts. You can watch, you can listen to it there. You can listen to it on TuneIn Radio. There's several places where you can uh, listen to the show Cottage Talk.
And you can find me on Twitter uh, at Louis Shackshaft or visit my website, louisshackshaft.com, where I do a lot of writing, uh, blogging, uh, Sheffield Wednesday statistics, all my podcasts that I've been on are all uh, on there also, so you can check those out. Um, and yeah, just give us a follow if you wish on Twitter. Yeah, and as I said at the start, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore James Vickers, where I mainly tweet about Preston, uh, championship football and German football as well. So definitely give me a follow if you're interested in any of those. Uh, and you can follow the, the main uh, Twitter page for the for the show, which is at championship pod. So definitely check that out. There's lots of polls going up every week and things to get involved with. So yeah, definitely give us a follow. Um, cheers for joining me today, guys. Uh, obviously, uh, hoping that both your teams can pick up uh, decent results over the next week. And, you know, uh, next time we're all on, hopefully we're sort of singing each other's praises again. Um, but yeah, cheers for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah.